Hello everyone, welcome to a jam-packed episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. We've got a breakdown of the New York City Marathon, where Sharon Lacady won in her debut, Evans Chebet completed the Boston-New York double, Daniel Donesimento collapsed after going out on world record pace, and Galen Rupp dropped out. We'll break down the winners, losers, and everything else from the weekend that was in New York. Plus... This morning, Tuesday morning, the 2024 U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials have finally been awarded. We finally have a host. We're all going to be going to Orlando, Florida, February 2024. Good decision. What shall we expect? We'll talk about that. Plus, it's the Oregon Track Club relaunching under Ben Thomas with Cole Hawker as the star. A post-collegiate bandits, the Texas high school state meet in cross-country. And a thing Mo heads west to join Sydney McLaughlin Lavrone under coach Bobby Kersey in Los Angeles. Finally, we're sorry to all our single listeners, but Matthew Centrowitz Jr. is off the market. Congrats on your engagement, Centro. This is Jonathan Galt. I am joined by my bosses, Robert and Weldon Johnson. I'm really excited for this episode, guys. We got an Olympic trials host, we've got a New York City marathon to break down. Plenty of stuff to discuss this week. How are you guys doing on this election day? Get out and vote, people. Get out and vote. Remember, one party votes today, the other tomorrow. Oh, that's a joke. And John, I thought maybe there was an announcement coming when you said engagement. I'm sorry, people, but I thought maybe something had happened this weekend to you, but I guess not. Ladies, keep your hopes up. He's still on the mark. How cool would it have been if Centro and Jonathan had gotten engaged to each other? Although that would have violated Jonathan's journalism ethics. What do you think the board would explode more, John? Like if you got engaged to a supermodel or like Centrowitz? I don't know, Robert. I I don't know why this gets redirected to me. It always seems to come around to me. We're talking about pro runners and all this stuff. I don't know, Robert. These are two hypothetical scenarios. Okay. I just think it's kind of ridiculous. Can we talk about running? We can, but first of all, I'd like to issue an apology to the Let's Run faithful. They come for the hard-hitting analysis, my expertise. And I was responsible for the women's preview. I think after reading it, it wouldn't have surprised anybody if a debutante marathoner from Kenya won New York City, but I think no one, particularly myself, expected it to be Sharon Lucchetti. I did go back after the fact to see if her name was even in the women's preview, it was, John, thanks to you. So thank you, because you put in the Excel spreadsheet that had all the elites. So it had like five words on her in there. Oh, well, it's interesting. My memory of it was I could swear I had a conversation with one of you two. And it was like, oh, should we say anything about Sharon Lacetti? And I'm like, look at her results. I mean, what has she done? She's run a 68-minute half marathon. She's going to win the New York City Marathon. It's not even mentioning that she's debuting. But that, people, is why they run the race. And that's actually the great thing about New York. Okay, it doesn't have always the loaded fields, though there were some good athletes in this. But this is what's beautiful about a race without pacemakers that's run in a tough course, that's run in tough conditions, is stuff 
crazy shit happens. We complain about this all the time in running. It's too predictable. It's too boring at the first half when it's just people going out with the pacemakers. When you get these sort of conditions, that's when you get unpredictability and you get a lot more exciting race. I mean, that was thrilling watching Sharon LaCady in the final miles in Central Park. Can she hold off? Lona Solpeter, who was a world championship medalist this year, and Gody Tom Gebrselassie, who was the world champion. It's this, you know, decent. She was an NCAA champion at Kansas, but come on. A long shot going up against two world championship medalists, and she comes out on top. I mean, how great was that? That's that's the New York City Marathon of this finest right there. It's it's excitement. I wasn't sure we'd start with Sharon Lochetti because I think the men's race is what captured the most tension of the audience at large. But we should stay stay on the Sharon Lochetti story because from a running perspective, it was shocking, right? And it's a big victory, right? For Under Armour, people were saying, "Oh, you know, they're doing." I've seen someone in the thread. They're like, "Oh, that group." They're doing such a good job. And I'm like, what? Until now, Under Armour, I was like, what are they even doing in running? Like, they're piddling around. They don't have any good runners. Do they even have a shoe? And that all sort of changes overnight when you win the New York City Marathon. People immediately think your shoe is pretty good. It sounds like they put a lot of resources into this. And also, I think it shows. To my knowledge, Under Armour sponsors... Maybe two NCAA champions? I, well, I don't even know. They, I, think, I only know two runners they actually sponsor. Well, I, that, that's incorrect because Matt Lano, who I spoke to in New York as well. But two runners are doing really well for them. Wayne Kaladi, now Sharon Locati. What do they share in common? Well, they are both NCAA champions. Exactly. People try to build these groups with C-level talent, B-level talent. No. I mean, I'm shocked, totally shocked that Cheryl Caddy won this thing. People are now trying to say, oh, well, she did well at the New York City Mini. She got second place there. Okay, fine. But the Mini's sort of a crafted field like the New York City Marathon. I mean, at the Mini, she was 11 seconds up of Kira D'Amato. Kira D'Amato is a good runner, but I don't think expect Kira D'Amato to win the New York City Marathon. And Kira D'Amato is not a 10K runner either. So that's just sort of like, what I would expect of an NCAA 10K champ to maybe be cured to model by 10 seconds and a 10K on the roads. That does nothing to indicate you're going to win the New York City Marathon. Well, when he said, what do they have in common? I thought they're both born in East Africa. So I don't know. You know, I'm the person who hates the white race, but I always do like to see examples of genetic East African superiority. But... Look, I've always wondered, like, these, you're, you're, you make a good point, Welton. Like, I, I said recently, I'm going to start an article at the end of the year, like, which people deserve to go pro. And I'm like, if I was a shoe company, I wouldn't pay anybody else except for these people. But, like, what criteria does that mean? Like, you know, I criticize the British Olympian Olympic team if they, they won't take people unless you're going to medal. Like, I'm like, oh, you shouldn't go pro unless you're going to make an Olympic team or at least have a shot. Now, that would have ruled out Weldon from going pro. But uh, it's always said, I've always thought like you could get some random East African runner, pay them a lot less than you're paying some of these. I don't think people realize how much some of these track runners are getting. Okay. For the record, Robert, I got out of school, economic consulting job and worked 40 to 50 hours a week. I wouldn't say I went pro. 
then once I got, you know, like fourth in the country or something, the 10K, maybe then you can call me a pro, but never signed an endorsement deal. But that's a d- different issue. Back to this race. I was going to do a winners and losers segment, but there was so much hype coming in about Helen O'Berry. I have never heard more bullish talk about a woman that I can think of in her marathon debut than what I heard from Helen O'Berry in camp. Dathan Ritzenhain was raising about her, raving about her. Helen was saying the build up a gun. Was it, was it work perfect to use, John? If it wasn't perfect, it was something close to it. She was very optimistic. Afterwards, I was talking to a very, very prominent coach. Told me they heard talk that word was leaking out that she was in world record shape on a flat course. Who knows? Maybe that's true. I don't even know what what, would she finish fifth or sixth place. I mean, that's the crazy thing. There was a point in first half in this race when there was a clear top three. One point at top two, but Helen O'Berry, the world champ, Gabriel Selassie, and then last year's runner-up, Viola, we got Chet too. Sharon Lucchetti wasn't with them. And at that point, I thought, O'Berry looked to be controlling things. I'm like, she's just going to run away from them with this thing. I was thinking the same thing, Weldon. And that, to me, shows two things. One, this is a tough event to win. You know, you can have great training, but if you're feeling dehydrated, if the heat gets to you, I don't know. We didn't speak to Obiri afterwards, so I don't know exactly what went wrong. I'm certainly not writing her off in the marathon. I wouldn't be surprised if she goes out and runs 216 something next spring, but she didn't have it the last 10K or so. Sharon Locati absolutely did. And like you said, the, the impressive thing was she allowed herself to get dropped. She was 11 seconds back. So was uh, Lona Salpeta, and those two kind of closed the gap together. But what was so impressive about this victory is just the savvy and her racing ability in her first time ever at this distance. This is about as difficult as it gets in terms of throwing in complicated factors. You've got a hot weather race. You've got a difficult course. No pacemakers. You have to make a lot of decisions. She chose to hang back. She essentially ran this perfectly you know ran a really smart composed race it was a veteran race even though it was her first ever marathon so that as much as the fitness that it took to win she won the race in 223-23 but the, the racing savvy is what truly impressed me by Sharon Lacady. it is interesting I mean the top two finishers were dropped in the middle of the race and then ended up going one two and that to me like when I turn on the tv I was running some errands in the morning, was playing it in the car for the first half for the most part. And I was just thinking, New York is more interesting than a London or one of these rabbited races because in the rabbited races, there's nothing to pay attention to except for the halfway split. And, and then when people start to fall off at 30K. In New York, all sorts of things are going. And we'll get to the men's race, totally crazy there with the guy going out super fast. But it's just disappointing to me, and Weldon's going to complain, and I always complain, but it's almost unwatchable from a viewer's standpoint. Like, I, I don't know how a place, someone with the resources of ESPN can't do a better job on the broadcast, but we don't get mile-by-mile splits. Like, how did those people get ahead? How did they get 11 seconds ahead? Did they throw down a fast mile? 
You're spending all of this money on New York City and we can't get mile-by-mile splits? They've got Dina Castor and Chris Chavez in, in, in motorcycles. Give them a damn stopwatch so I can get mile-by-mile splits and put it up on the page instead of that annoying streaming thing they have at the top where it shows the top 10. It says how far back they are. Don't show that. Just give me the mile-by-mile splits so I know what's going on. And they always want something that shows, you know, stat, like computers for TCS to sponsor. How about that? Factor in the hills. You can say they ran a 5-10 mile, but it's the equivalent of a 5-minute mile. So, like, we, we didn't really know what was going on with the chase pack in the men's race. I don't know. I found it a frustrating experience to watch. But in hindsight, when, once I broke it down, I was like, wow, that was a pretty cool race. One thing I, I will say about the broadcast, the wheelchair analyst, what's his name, Kurt something? Kurt Finley. He was good for the regular broadcast. He seemed to be better than the regular broadcasters. I liked his passion. So I personally think they should do less attention to the wheelchairs, but he was a good commentator. One other thing about this Locati win before we move on to some other athletes. This has to go down as one of the unlikeliest World Marathon Mage champions we've ever had. I was going back. Des Linden, when she won in 2018, yes, it was unlikely, but Des Linden had finished second in the Boston Marathon before, and it was also the mother of all bad weather days. You knew something wacky maybe could happen. I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of the last time someone this unlikely won a World Marathon major. I mean, when Shalane won, certainly it was a big upset against Mary Katani, but... I think she probably had a better shot on the start line than Sharon LeCady did. I just didn't think someone with a 68-14 half marathon PB, even coming in New York against women like the world champion, Gebra Selassie, Sal Petra, Edna Kiplagat, Helen O'Beary, I didn't think she stood much of a chance. So am I crazy or do you guys agree? No, I agree 100%. And I put the headline up. I call this a shock upset. And I, I didn't think the commentators made that as big of a deal. And then I thought, well, maybe it's because they don't know that much about running. They, like, apparently, Carrie Tolleson had talked to her. I wouldn't have even bothered to talk to her. So yeah, kudos to Carrie talking to her. But then I was thinking afterwards, I'm like, it seems like a huge shock, but then maybe is it really that big of a shock? And I'll only say that because let's look at the women who've run under 222 in this marathon. There was question marks about all of them in the sense of, well, Lorna Selpater, coming back from Worlds. I know the Worlds were in July, and with Super Shoes, we assume people can run three marathons a year, but it's not the same as doing a full build-up from scratch. Same thing with Gabba Selassie. Germato is even worse. Not only did she run Worlds, she also ran Berlin. Edna Kipagod, come on. Did anyone really expect her to win at age 43? I certainly didn't. I expected her to do exactly what she did, which is run a good race, finish top five. Deslin, and that's it. Those are the one, two, three, Four women with PBs under 222. Then you've got O'Beary, who the buildup seemed perfect. But remember, this is a former 1500 runner, so maybe the marathon's not her event. If O'Beary falters, there's a question mark about all those other people, and then somebody else has to win. And considering, like, Viola Cheptu, I mean, she's certainly not as good in college as Sharon Lucchetti. Yeah, I mean, Sharon Lucchetti ran longer distances. Viola Cheptu was a very good collegiate miler. I mean, Lucchetti, 
honestly, she she was good. She was finishing like all American. She was top ten at NCAA cross twice, but she's also forty fourth and fifty forty fourth and forty fifth her last two years. She did win her final NCAA outdoors twenty eighteen, but twenty nineteen her fi- her final competitive NCAA championships twenty nineteen indoors she was eleventh in the five k. It was more frequent that she was running sort of you know, in that top 10 range at NCAAs than it was that she was finishing first. I mean, she was 12th at NCAAs in the 5K in 2018. Yes, she was third in the 10K. So it seemed like the 10K was her event, but the, she was way overshadowed by someone like Carissa Schweizer throughout her collegiate career. And Carissa Schweizer, shorter distance focus than that. But I don't think we would think, oh, she's going to be a world marathon majors champion in a couple of years. So this was a, definitely a big improvement. It kind of reminds me of actually Wesley Kip, Wesley Correa, sorry, who didn't have this amazing NCAA career, but then moves to the marathon and suddenly he's running 206 and he's winning Boston. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I mean, when, when I was looking up her NCAA credentials, I was like, okay, who did she beat to win this NCAA title? And she beat Schweizer the year Schweizer was going for the 510 double. So that was a nice win, but I'm like, would we ever expect... I mean, Christian Schweizer is damn good, but would we expect her to win in New York? No. I mean, there's only been one before this weekend NCAA athlete to ever win New York, and that was Shailene Flanagan, and that was an upset. So, you know, she's got track PBs of what? 1508? 1513 and 3111. But she's also run 30-52 on the roads earlier this year. Where do we think she goes from here it's a good question robert do you say is this someone who she peaked with her very first marathon she never wins one again that she she a meb type where she can win when it's a little bit slower and it's a tougher style race or because i don't think i've seen anything yet that indicates she's going to be one of those 215 216 women that are now suddenly popping up around the world or 217 Maybe she gets there. It does seem like she's certainly taken to the marathon a lot better than any other event. She was made to run this event. But it's curious. I'm also going to be curious to see she's nominally a member of the Dark Sky Distance team, which is the Under Armour team in Flagstaff, but she trained for this marathon in Kenya. And her coach, Stephen Haas, said he thought that really helped. It just minimized distractions. It was a good environment for her. Does she stay she is still competing for Kenya or will she go back and do flag stuff for her next build up? So I'm definitely interested to see where she goes from here and you know what she's going to be like in some different style marathons. Well, if we want her and King Ches to get citizenship, by the way, she's engaged Edward Cheserick. We need them living here, right? They should not be getting U.S. citizenship if they're living in Kenya. I'll, I'll state that political statement right now. But by the way, they, they mentioned King Ches on the broadcast. Like that's what he's known as. Did we give him that nickname? Like, was that a let's run thing? Or was that on the forum? I wanted to claim that I gave it, but I don't want to make that. It up wouldn't surprise me. I feel like we call everyone King around here if they start winning stuff. But here's the crazy thing, Robert coming out of college. If I told you, okay, Sharon Locady or King or Edward Cheserak, which of those two has the more successful professional career? I think pretty much everyone would have picked Edward Cheserak, right? And now after Locady has won New York, there's no debate. She has had the more successful professional career of the two of them. And 
For the record, we did mention Locati last week on the podcast, John. We played the voicemail about King Chaz. And Sanjay, the caller, was like, look, he's running in crap shoes, I think. How does he not have citizenship? And John pointed out, well, I can't get an American wife. And John pointed out, oh, he's married to Sharon Locati. I don't think we noticed. We even mentioned then, oh, who's running New York this weekend? Engaged. engaged. They've been engaged since 2019. Uh, and Stephen Haas said they are still engaged, but things keep building up on their schedule. They haven't been able to set a date. There was the pandemic, all that stuff. I'm happy for the local company. Under Armour was a big win for them. A little disappointed. I was kind of hoping for their running pro teams to totally bomb out before they begged me to coach them. But I guess I'll have to wait another few years. It's good. My son's young. I can't really be flying up to Flagstaff and stuff. Well, it is interesting, Robert, because I was talking to Stephen Haas about this, who is the coach of this Dark Sky Distance team. And two years ago, he said they were at a crossroads because they didn't have a super shoe. The Olympics were coming up and athletes didn't want to try to go out for Olympic teams without a super shoe. So Morgan McDonald left. He, they, I think Under Armour let the athletes out of that contract. They said either you can compete for Under Armour in our shoes or you know, we'll let you go with no penalty and you can compete for other people. And that's what they did. Morgan McDonald left. He went to on. And Rachel Schneider, now Rachel Smith, just days before the Olympic trials in 2021, signs with Hoka, runs for Hoka. I don't even know. Did Hoka have super spikes? Maybe she, she was wearing a Hoka singlet at the trials. I don't know what she was wearing on her feet. But she makes the team in the 5K. She had been an Under Armour athlete. And as Weldon was saying earlier, you start thinking, what's the point of having pro athletes you sponsor if you're not going to invest in them and give them a chance to be competitive? And Stephen Haas was telling me, you know, they essentially had to make a decision. Was Under Armour going to invest or were they going to get out of the sport, essentially? And they invested. They got together a super shoe. They put a lot of money into it. Now they've got a product that's good enough to win the New York City Marathon, you know, it's impossible to say exactly how it stacks up to Adidas and Nike, but didn't seem to be an issue on Sunday. And they've also got Wayne Kaladi, who is one of the most promising U.S. road prospects right now and who won the U.S. 5K championships for the second time in a row on Saturday. So it's pretty interesting. I credit to Wonder Armour for investing in the sport and for coming up with this shoe and making it competitive. Because for me, it's it's healthier when we have more brands in the sports. A rising tide lifts all boats. There's more competition, more options for pro athletes. I think it's a good thing to have more brands invested. See, see that's where people think, you know, the secret payments John gets from Nike because he usually plugs their shoes. That's where he hit. There I go. You need to say why you're praising Under Armour. Joke, people. Is that why I'm known, as, I'm known for plugging Nike? That's my reputation on this podcast? No, I don't know. I just said it last week because you're like, their shoes are so amazing. Or I don't know what you said, but it's I'm, I'm now on the Under Armour Instagram page, the Dark Sky page. I don't even know who's in the group besides Kawadi. They, they have a group here in Baltimore, like a mid-D group. But they got the New York City Marathon champ, so this is going to earn them a lot of kudos and props in Baltimore. Robert, they should come down to Baltimore. You guys should have a party. You should be invited. But hopefully, yeah, Under Armour keeps investing. I agree 100% with you, John. Like, the more the merrier, the more teams 
you know, if Under Armour's doing something, Nike gets a little jealous, puts more money. I mean, I don't think it's a secret, or I think it's widely assumed that Nike had pulled back some money from running. So Under Armour starts the spotlight. What will Nike do, et cetera? Competition is good. All right, let's talk about the men's race. Wait, that's all you're going to say? How about the crazy MFing men's race? It was nuts, well done. Because you have Evans Chebet winning. He's the first man since Jeffrey Mutai in 2011 to win Boston and New York in the same year. He completes the Kenyan sweep. Kenyan men won all six world marathon majors in 2022. And yet, that's only part of the story because the first 20 miles of this race were dominated by Daniel Donesimento of Brazil. In a way, I don't think anyone's dominated the New York City Marathon since Jeffrey Mutai. And it was insane. It's right from the start. He goes crazy. His second mile, the downhill mile on the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, was 420. That's what they said in the press room. That is one of the fastest splits ever in any marathon. Now, granted, it's downhill, but he had a big gap. And I'm like, all right, it's a, it's a downhill mile, though. And then he just keeps going. His first 10K, he splits in 28.42, which is, well, <laughs> that's world record pace. He ran 14.11 for his second 5K which is another insane split. He has a lead of over two minutes at halfway, which he passes in 61-22. Well, well under course record pace. I mean, that's that's 202 pace. The course record here is 205-06 by Mutai. And at this point, we're looking at, I'm looking at Weldon. I'm just like, there's no way this end, ends well. I've seen enough marathons. This never, ever works. When you are running... If you're someone like Daniel Donacimento and you're running that fast on that course in that kind of weather, the question to me wasn't whether he was going to hold on to win. The question was, would he finish the race? And he did not. His body starts shutting down. 18 miles, he ducks into the porta potty. 20 miles, he stops, pulls over the side of the course to walk it out, starts pumping his arms, finally gets himself going again. And then at 21 miles, he pulls over again, ducks under the police tape, and collapses on the ground. And the crazy thing is, his lead was so big that even after all of those stoppages, it still took another 15 seconds for Evans Chebet to come by and finally pass him and officially take the lead. So it was totally crazy. According to his agent, Johnny Demadonna, Domestimento went to the hospital afterwards, was checked out. They said he had... He was dehydrated, obviously, stomach problems. And low, low glycemia is what he said. So maybe, maybe he didn't have uh, enough sugar, blood sugar. But just one of the most crazy things I've ever seen in the New York City Marathon. And I guess the question afterwards was brave or stupid. I would add towards the side of stupid, but you have to have some level of cojones to go out that hard. Yeah, stupid and brave at the same time. So. I loved it. I have a new runner I'm going to be rooting for. The first bathroom stop, John, diarrhea, the official cause of that. But after you said all of that, he's still leading. And diarrhea doesn't just come about because you're running too hard. 
Because Johnny's like, oh, it's something he drank on on the course. He was wondering something from the water. That doesn't make sense to me. But for whatever reason, you know, that hit him. I still think he would have blown up no diarrhea or not. I, I, I Race day, we have the live thread. We have a new events page. Thanks to everyone who checked that out. Tons of people, tens of thousands of you guys checked out the new event page. Appreciate that. Um, we're updating that. And I was like, oh, I need to start the thread. You know, another prediction contest. Predict how many minutes of the race he gets. I never started it. But I would have predicted for sure he got caught. Never in that manner. I just assumed he would have just started slowing down, running, you know, 520 miles, 540 miles, whatever it is, till he eventually gets caught. I didn't think I would see the leader of the New York City Marathon laying down on the side of the road. That is rare. I don't, there are many times where someone who is the leader of the race will just step off. And I remember Callum Hawkins of the 2018 Commonwealth Games Marathon down in the Gold Coast in Australia. It was very hot. He kind of passed out, but it doesn't happen that often. But I'm, I'm not shocked that's how it ended for him, Weldon. When you go out stupidly fast and the weather's really hot, your body shuts down. And this is a guy, remember, this also happened to him at the Olympic Marathon last year in Sapporo. Uh, he was running... That one, it was a little bit hotter, and he was less experienced in the marathon. So and I don't think he was running as crazy fast. So that one, it's more like, oh, maybe he just doesn't well, do that well in the heat. This one... It's unfortunate to say because I do think he, you know, I, I he's an exciting guy to watch. I think it's great that he's pushing Brazilian marathoning forward. He was training out in Kenya before this race. He was in Lawrence Toronto's camp. Then Lawrence Toronto gets popped. He says, I don't want to be associated with this camp anymore. He moves elsewhere. But, and he's only 24, which is on the young side, but this was not his first marathon. He's run four or so of them before. At that point, you have to know enough about the sport that you cannot go out in world record pace for the first 10K on a hot day in New York and just think it's going to be fine. He completely miscalculated his effort, and that's the result you're going to get. How hot was it? High 60s? High 60s and humid, though, Robert. When I was driving around, and I put this on the message board, due to the, during the race, and people have roasted me for it, but I heard the commentators on ESPN, John Anderson, Des Linden apparently had the lead in the women's race, and then this Dos Minto guy has the lead in the men's race. He's like, of the two, I like Des's lead better. And I, like, disagreed. I thought, well, Des may have been running a sensible race, but I'm like, which of these two has a chance to win this race? It's the Brazilian. And then when I heard a 61-minute, I was thinking to myself, I didn't know the individual splits. By the way, 420 on the second mile is not that fast. It's 200 feet downhill. So that's like 35 seconds downhill. That's like a 455 if you just let yourself go. And that, unfortunately, that destroys your legs a little bit. I was like, could he pull like a Steve Jones or something? Remember when Steve Jones went for the went super fast in New York? And w- there was another race recently when someone did it too. And we Ruth Chepengedich in Chicago. Yeah, what did she got in? 65-44. She, I mean... I would argue she cost herself the world record by going out that fast, but yes. But if she you're still held on for the win. She did, so yes. I was thinking, okay, it's too fast. He's going to blow up. I mean, definitely. He's not going to go run two or three in this weather in New York. Could Kipchoge run two or three in New York? That's a different story. 
But I'm like, can I see a 61, 66, 207, and you hang on and win? Yeah. Obviously, it didn't happen. But winning time, I, no, everybody slowed down, right? When, when did the winner hit halfway in? When did he finish up? So, Evans Chabet hit halfway in 63.36. He ran 208.41. So, he ran 65.05. You know, negative split. Sorry, he positive split by 95 seconds. His last three 5K segments, he was slowing down with each one. Um, 14.37 from 25K to 30K. 15.29, 30 to 35K. Then 15.58, 35K to 40K. So, he just held on the best essentially but here's the difference between Donasimento and Steve Jones or Ruth Chepengedich or Elliot Kipchoge earlier this year when he goes out in 59-51 in Berlin those three were all either the best or like second best marathoner in the world they were significantly better than most of the people in those races that wasn't the case with Donasimento he's a 204 guy he's not a 201 guy he's not a 202 guy he doesn't have the margin for error to be going out that fast, well under PR pace in New York. So to me, I actually agree with John Anderson. I liked Dez's more because Dez is similar to what Meb did in 2014 in Boston or CJ Albertson did 2021 in Boston. They went out and gapped people, but they didn't gap them because they were running an insane, unsustainable pace. They were running because they were running pace they could maintain and everyone else chose not to go with it. So that was not the case with Denisovento. Yeah, he probably, on paper, had a better chance to win the race than Des Lindem, but he was not going at a sustainable race. Sorry, a sustainable pace. So I actually agree with John Anderson on that. But in reality, only two guys broke 209. Actually, only two guys broke 210 in this race. So if they'd also gone out slower or if they had a bad day, someone's got to win it. So anyways, when I saw Delshians was slowing down, I'm like, who's going to win? And they didn't show this on TV, but Shabbat had broken the chase pack, the favorite, the 203 flat guy. He gets to win. Now, should we read anything into this? People are going to get mad. Rojo speculating, but what country is having all the drug bust? Kenya, what country wins all the marathon majors? This Brazilian guy who looks amazing. Oh, by the way, he happened to be training with, with the best Kenyan, Stephen uh, Lawrence Toronto, who got popped. So, it was a great year for Kenya in some ways, but a disgraceful one as well. I don't think we gave the Lawrence Toronto enough, the, his drug bust enough. I mean, he was the best marathoner, right, in the world besides Kipchoge? He would have had a strong case for it. He was... He happened to get popped at the right time. What's that, Robert? He got popped at the right time. We were busy at World, so there was too much other stuff going on to really... You know, if he gets popped this time of year, we're going to spend 20 minutes talking about it. During the right. World Championships, we probably only had a few times. So... Yeah, so Chema, a couple other things on him. He's part of the... Claudio Berardelli group that has been having all this success to running club. He won Boston, New York this year. Benson Caprudo, Benson won Boston last year and Chicago this year. Amos Caprudo won London this year. 
So they've won four of the six World Marathon Majors this year. The only ones anyone else won were the two Kipchoge races, Tokyo and London. So it's a huge year for them and big year for Kenya in general. And like you said, Robert, yeah, it's a bit, it is a bit tainted what the Kenyans have accomplished because the Kenyans who are getting popped are putting a bad name on the entire country. I can't say for certainty what, who which athletes are clean and which aren't. But we've had 23 busts in Kenya already this year. From all indications are that there are more to come in the coming months. And one of those busts was the 2021 Boston Marathon champion, Diana Kipuke. So you have to have a degree of suspicion, but you also have to remember some of these athletes are doing it the right way. And it's unfair to them that just because a lot of their countrymen are not, they're being lumped in with it. So it's a difficult situation. One of our supporting club members, or I guess this is the regular podcast. By the way, if you want a bonus podcast, join the supporters club today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. If you want to reach us, leave a voicemail, give us an opinion, pick up the phone. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, unlike Google, you can talk to a real human being. 844-LET'S-RUN-844-538-7786. We didn't really talk about this too much. How about the Americans' performance in New York? Walton's like, we just need more guys running 205 and more women running 214. They got to just try harder. Well, I'm not sure if they didn't try hard enough or what, but we had only, I know it's warm, but we only had three men break 220. We had no men, excuse me, we had one man within five minutes of the leader. Scott Fobble runs 213, signs a Nike contract, runs 213.35. Reed Fisher was second at 215.23. And the American, he was not second overall. He was 10th overall. They're ninth and 10th. Leonard Careers, 217.29. And on the women's side, <clears throat> Alfie Tulmak, I thought she was the only one that I would say ran a good race of all these Americans. She runs a PB, 226.18. She's within three minutes of the winner. She finishes seventh. Then you've got Emma Bates, 226.53. Nell Rojas, 228-32. Lindsey Flanagan, 229-28. Finishing 10th and 11th. So four women under 230, three under 220. It wasn't very good for me. Yeah, my take on the men, this was not a good performance at all by the American men. Ninth place for top American. That's the lowest since 2013. And this was, it's not like, oh, this was a super, super deep New York field, you know? So... Only one guy breaking 215. And looking in, looking at the start list, this is one of the deepest fields you would, we've had at a World Marathon major from an American perspective. Five guys on the start line who had broken 209 in their career. That was easily the most ever for one race looking at Americans. Now, one of those was Abdi Abdurrahman, who's 45 years old. So I wasn't expecting that much from him. But Scott Fobble, Leonard Correa, Galen Rupp, Marty Hare here. And then you've also got Shadrach Kipchirchir making his debut. I expected more. I think Fobble ran a solid race. He very rarely blows up. He usually makes good racing decisions. Him and his coach, Joe Bossard, they came in. They said, hey, if you run 212 today, you'll get in the top five. Uh, well, guess what? 212 would have placed you sixth on Sunday. So I think they about figured that out. 
he tried to run 212. That was basically his goal is like, if I just do all the decisions and run the pace that it takes to run that fast, I'll run well. He didn't quite do that. He started falling off a little bit in the second half. Everyone was falling off towards the end, though. But I think that's a solid effort by Scott Farble, 213-35, only getting his Nike single it the, <laughs> the night before the race. But he does finally have a sponsorship contract. I thought he ran fine. Wasn't a great race, but it was certainly, you know, I'd say like B plus at least. Um, Reed Fisher, 10th, 215-23. I think that, that's all right. Again, Reed Fisher, he ran 210 in Boston earlier this year, but for what he is, I think that's that's fine. No one else really impressed me. I mean, I know the conditions were, t- were tough. I get it. It's a tough course. It was tough weather. But Leonard Corey, 217-29. Galen Rupp dropping out. Rupp clearly just, he went with it. We did what, he did what we thought we would do. You know, he goes with the leaders. And then as soon as Evans Chabet breaks up that second group on the Queensboro Bridge, Rupp just couldn't hang on. He was quickly dropped, dropped out. So I'm not totally surprised based on the year he's had to this point, but clearly disappointment. I was just thinking like, oh, maybe one American can surprise or someone will have a good day. I think Scott Fobble had a decent day. Reed Fisher had a decent day, but like no one had really what I would call like a great day on the men's side. I'm going to pull a Rojo. Supporters club only segment right here. I'm going to give you guys a rumor about Galen Rupp, only for Supporters Club members. Here it is. Non-Supporters Club members, it's not salacious or anything. But hey, you join the Supporters Club, it's more like you're part of the family. We tell you what we hear from people who might be in the know or people who email us, whatever have you. Sometimes we just sort of let you in behind the curtain. And you get a full, well, we call it the Friday 15, minimum 15-minute podcast every Friday, but it's like 45 minutes, an hour a lot of the times. Second podcast every week. It's where we talked about Alexa Averson retiring, I think Mo turning pro. We'll talk about I think Mo a little bit more here coming up. But here it is. Well, if you want to join, let's run.com slash subscribe. I don't know if Weldon hyped that up. That was great. Discussion of potential American record attempt. But basically, we're not because we put it behind the paywall. We can't be accused of spreading rumors. This is just the type of inside information that we would hear at a meet and we would talk to you at a bar if we were sitting at a bar with you, but it's not verifiable journalism. So thank you. I should have been checking my emails. I didn't realize someone had emails. What? But let's continue with these American. I want to give grades. If I'm giving grades, considering Tulumuk's buildup, I give her an A. Oh, I agree. She was the one who I think, of all the Americans who ran New York, I was the most impressed by her because she had to take about two and a half weeks off at the start of September to deal with this injury on her ankle. Ankle, yeah. Thank you, Weldon. And I was like, after that, she's talking about how bad her training's been going. She has to take time off. I was like, no way she's going to do anything in New York. But... No, she she reminded me of just how good, how talented, and how tough she is because she gets back to training, and then her coach Ben Rosario actually said she had some of her best workouts ever. Her 15-mile tempo before New York was faster than what she ran in 2020 before she ran the trials and won the trials. 
The difference was she didn't have that those months of big miles and heavy training, the base underneath her. And so the question that Rosario and NAZ Elite coach Alan Culpepper had was, you know, has she got enough training that she's going to be able to make it through 26.2? Has she got the base underneath her? She had enough. She said afterwards she wished she had a few more weeks, but for her to come out, run 226 in PR, finish seventh in this race, despite a suboptimal buildup, I thought this was a great sign. And if she can stay healthy, I'd be really excited to see what she can do in 2023 because this was a reminder of just how talented she is. The other woman in the top 10, Emma Bates. She's only 35 seconds back of Tillamook. I'm still going to give her like B, B minus. I just had really high expectations for her. Nell Rojas, who's always seems like to get top 10 in these things in Boston, now in New York. 220 for her. I guess I'll probably give her like a B. She beat a lot of names in this field, like Kira D'Amato, that sort of stuff. But that's fine for her. I mean, it is what she is. She's an eighth to yeah. tenth type person at this. She's 227 in Boston, 228 in a warm day in New York is pretty good. Lindsay Flanagan, 229, 28. I mean, she'd run 224 at Gold Coast in the summer. I probably would have thought she was capable of a little bit more. I'm going to give B minus for that. So that's the Americans in the top 10. For the Americans, men, I don't know. What's Fobble's PB? Non wind dated, 2086. Is that wind-aided? He, he ran it in Boston. You assume anyone who runs PR in Boston has to be wind-aided, Robert. He ran it in Boston. It's a point-to-point point course with some downhills. But Is that the year that Jared wore everyone PR'd or not? I'm trying to figure out what year it was. It was this year in Boston. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like some freak wind year. Like, look, the big, the one Boston, well, there was 94 and there was 2011. Those were like the big... Yes, seriously wind-aided years. Other than those, so, like, I don't think you can say it's like that much faster or slower than a regular course. So his PB, so he's five minutes off his PB, basically? A little less? Yeah, four and a half. I mean, I was going to give him a C, even though he's a top American. C plus? I mean, Evans Chabat, though, the winner is 541 from his PB, but his PB is from a perfectly flat course. So, I mean, it's okay. But Walden was complaining we didn't have any guys finish higher. You know, or you were, John, and he's only ninth. But the guys ahead of him are all better than him. Evans Chibet, Shurikitato, Najehi, El Rabi, Osako, Yoriziaki of Japan is a 207 guy. Korea was second, has won New York in the past. Meucci, I mean, Meucci, his PB is only 209. He's a former European champion. So I think Fobble should have beaten him. Maybe he could have beaten Career. I mean, it's okay, but. It's kind of interesting. Like, what goes? I, I want to bring up. Oh, let's do the other Americans because I, I never. What would you give Fable Ward seventeen oh nine? I'm giving Ward a D. I don't think it's a D. I mean, Jared Ward's recent races have been awful. So for him to finish eleventh, look two seventeen oh nine. Yeah, not a great time, but actually, I would give him probably like a C plus or B minus. Like, if you're comparing him against the Jared Ward of 2018, 2019. Yes, it's a D. If you're comparing it against the Jared Ward of 2021 and 2022, it's a step in the right direction. Oh, Reed Fisher. I'm not sure what to give him. I think Reed gets a B plus. That was I thought it was a decent effort by him. 
Yeah, Reed Fisher, top 10. I think he was top 10 in Boston as well. No, he wasn't. 11th? He was 16th. He ran 210 and got 16th. It was a pretty deep field in Boston this year. I knew there was a 10 in there, John, somewhere. I'm like, like, he did well, just time-wise. That just shows, though, John, the downhill that winded Boston, which John won't acknowledge. Anyway. But Leonard Career, he really went for it, blew up. He went out in 64, runs 217. He's the guy expected to be the first American. I applaud him at least going out for it. Um, the other guy, you know, who went for it is Galen Rupp. He went out even harder, 63-35 at the half, and dropped out. I just didn't have big expectations. But I'm now seeing a 20-mile split, John, for DeGalen, and a 21-mile split. Do you think you've taken across in a van? I don't know. I don't really care. He dropped out. I'm not re- I don't need to speculate about it. What about another guy? One of the biggest positive splits in the pro field, Shadrach Hipchirchir, went out in 65-31 in his debut. Ended up running 228, so he came home and a little under 123 for the second half. That's just, I mean, it's a, it was a tough day to make your debut. That's That makes me appreciate Sharon Lacady even more because Shadrach Hipchirchir, pretty good runner. I thought he'd run something solid, maybe contend for Tough American. He just totally created over the second half, as a lot of people did, because it was a tough day to run. Okay, guys, enough talk about these American runners. Can we actually talk about runners that people care about? You guys see this list? The most tracked runners, according to the New York Road Runners. I don't even know who most of these people are. Ashton Kutcher, okay, he's a famous actor, right? Who the hell is Matthew Wilpers? Casey Neistat, Matthew James, John, please help me out. Casey Neistat, he runs it every year. Oh, they're telling me he's a YouTube star and filmmaker. Okay. Uh, Matthew Wilpers, never heard of this individual. Uh, Matthew Peloton James, instructor. Peloton instructor. Okay. Again, never heard of him. Uh, Matthew James was the bachelor a few years ago. He ran with Shalane Flanagan. So I'm wondering, Shalane Flanagan was on this list as one of the most tracked. Was it because she's Shalane Flanagan or was it because she was running with Matthew James? I think it's probably a little bit of both. But Des Linden was also on there. I would, I, that doesn't. So it's actually, it's good for me that Des and Shalane are both up there. I was a little surprised Galen Rupp wasn't on this list of most tracked runners. But. Shows me that if all right, Des Linden is the fourth person on this list, and Shalane Falangan is the sixth person on this list. At least two runners are in the top six, so I guess that's I'm grasping at straws here. But it is a little disappointing that they're behind Matthew Wilpers and Casey Neistat. Yeah, I saw Flanagan on the race on the list. I didn't even know she ran. So, anyways, one other New York thing I'd like to talk about is the great Abdi Abdurrahman. He's almost my age. Weldon used to beat him in races. He's called it a career. And I think he, was, he dropped out. But for the record, I think f- I beat him in one race. When he led up Thank the you. line. We, we need to have him on the podcast when talking about why he should run through the line. But anyways, he got a feature in the New York Times before the race. And there was something in there that I just couldn't believe. And it's like 
you know, like which athletes companies sponsor and are they worth it? And are, are they selling that many shoes? And individually, each one is worth nothing, but together brand value is worth a lot. But anyways, it talked about how Abdi might be selling his collection of like 200 year Jordans because he'd been dropped by Nike. And it says, after a decades-long partnership with Nike ended, he signed a two-year deal with Asics and a few weeks ago. But getting dropped by his old sponsor still seems to sting. Here's the quote. Quote, I guess after 20-plus years, Nike didn't think I was good enough. Can someone explain this to me? He's retired. Why in the hell is Asics even signing him to a deal? He's just going to be a brand ambassador? Like, that's fine. If you want... Like a cool guy with a good personality who happens to be a minority, even better in his next Olympian, to do some appearances and pay him $75,000 a year like you would a normal marketing exec. That makes sense to me. But like, there's no reason for these shoe companies to pay you as an athlete when you're retired. Well, this year, he competed in ASIC. So they're getting the last year of his professional career. What do you this, mean? They're getting a few year. weeks of his professional career. Well, when did he sign the deal, Robert? I it said a few his, weeks ago. His Nike contract would have been up at the end of 2021. It says he signed a two-year deal with ASICS a few weeks ago. Yeah, so that to me suggests Nike didn't re-sign him for the first six months of 2021. And again, why would they? He's 44. He made the Olympic marathon team last year. He's not going to make the next one. At some point, you just if you're Nike and you're cutting back on athletes, it makes that's a logical cut to make. Well, it depends. Like how much do we think a Scott Fobble makes? I would guess around 100K. Like I heard Wally Suleiman, an old mass miler, makes 100K for the Beast or wherever. Okay, but it's, it doesn't make sense to just compare plates straight head-to-head because some athletes get a great deal when their stock is really high. Some athletes do not get a great deal. That doesn't mean that they're worth equivalent values. It's just that's what they were signed for. I just think the whole thing is so arbitrary to begin with. I might argue Abdi's worth more now than Scott Fobble is still. Like, pay a black guy an Olympian to go give speeches around the country, all around the country in Nike gear. Go to stores, do a kids' A five-time Olympian who made the team at 43? Yeah. Yes, you can definitely sell that. I'm kind of side. I'm actually now siding with Abdi. But like, I would, as a brand ambassador, I think he's worth more for a brand than a Scott Fobble, who I don't think is ever going to make an Olympic team. His best days are past him. He wait, 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 whoa, whoa, this is ridiculous, Robert. What? His best days are past him. He ran 208 this year in Boston, a personal best. That was six months ago. He's going so he to might. be one of the favorites to make the next Olympic team. He might not make it, but right now, if you had to pick the Olympic team, Robert, for 2024, who would you pick? Because I'd probably pick Fable, Mance, and Rock. I think those are the two, three favorites right now. I better keep my mouth shut before I enrage all the Scott Fobble fans. He just doesn't move the needle for me anymore. That you can say that. You can say you're not interested in him, but you can't say, oh, this guy's past his prime. Like he's clearly very much in his prime. He was just the first American in Boston and New York. I know, but I feel like he's maxed out. That's what he's maxed out as. So do you want to sponsor a guy that maybe makes an Olympic team? Or do you want to sponsor a guy who's made five damn Olympic teams? That's fine. You can make that argument. I started the segment blasting Abdi, excuse me, for complaining that Nike didn't re-sign him. And now I've convinced myself 
but but the thing with Asics is everyone knows he didn't run an Asics when he made those Olympic teams. So, but who cares, Robert? You bring him to corporate events. You bring him to events. You hear five-time Olympian, the only five, the only five-time Olympic male track and field athlete, right? On the track, I think. I think there's some field adventures. Yeah, but like Robert. These people, if you go to a corporate event, how many of them are going to be like, well, excuse me, he ran in Nike at those trials? Like, they're not going to know. They're not going to care who we represent. They're just going to be like, he's making an appearance on behalf of A6. He's wearing A6. You associate with him with the brand. That's the value he has now. So, yeah. I can get with Nike if they're saying from a marathon performance standpoint, you know, we don't think you're good enough anymore. I can also understand why he still has value to a sponsor like A6. So I just thought the Abdi quote was ridiculous, but he still does have some brand value. I'm glad that you can change your mind on things, Robert. We talk things through. We allow data. We allow people's arguments to sway us. We're open-minded here on this podcast. Can we talk about the other big news? We, we just handed at it. Who's going to make the 2024 US Olympic Marathon team? We now know whoever does make that team will do so in Orlando. On February... February 3rd, 2024. It's my 33rd birthday. So, big day. Yes, that was announced today. The trials are going to Orlando. We have... We actually post coming out this podcast so we can write on it. And I've gone to Dark Sky, provided 11 years of analysis of the weather, etc. This is interesting for two reasons. Um, well, not for two you know, more than two reasons. It, four years ago, we had a hilly course and the Olympics were flat. But when they picked Atlanta, they thought that the Olympics were going to be in Tokyo, which would be a somewhat hilly course. They ended up being moved So for the marathon. This time, we know what the Paris course is already out ahead of time. It's perfectly flat for the first 15K and the last 10K, but in the middle, there's a huge hill. Then you go down again and then up another hill. So there's two big, big, big hills. I mean, one of the hills is like 5K long. So Orlando is a very flat place. It's unlikely that there's substantial hills there. That's interesting. But in terms of the weather, I think it matches up very well for Paris. I've done this analysis, and depending on what time of day they have it, you know, originally, John, when this news came out, I was thinking, okay, they're going to have to run the marathon in Orlando early, like when it's 8 a.m., when it's 50 degrees normally. 8 a.m., it's normally 55 degrees, Orlando, Florida, on February 3rd. But at 12 noon, it's up to 70. At 4 o'clock, it's 74 degrees. But John pointed out, hey, this often on T. It's around 12 noon. And I actually think that's fine. Like, if it's not the best time to run a super fast time, but that's the that matches up with the Paris conditions. The Paris conditions are likely to be mid-60s at the start, mid-70s at the finish. And that's what we're probably going to get in Orlando. It's just not totally predictable in Orlando because the, the weather does vary a little bit. So I like Orlando. Lots of hotels, similar weather to Paris. Hey, the hills may not be there, but I'd rather give people a chance to run fast so we can have as many people under 2.11.30 or whatever the women's equivalent time is. So we can, I want the top three on the team. Yeah, I think we all do, Robert. I'm glad that the trials has a host. I'm glad that the Greater Orlando Sports Commission is behind this because that's one of the things in my deep dive into the Olympic trials and the hosting model. 
a lot of times you get in these non-profit running clubs like the BAA or Houston Marathon, Atlanta Track Club to put these events on. And this one, you've got a sports commission behind it. So that's the community is investing into it. That's exciting to me. I think it's going to be, I like that. I guess I like if it's going to be hot or it could mimic the conditions close to what we'd see in Paris only if we have enough Americans in a position to qualify for the games. If you get those three athletes under the Olympic standard and then you have a critical mass of maybe 10 more who have the 211.30, replacement standard, essentially, if you guys remember, the way they're going to do this for qualifying is if your country has three people with the standard, you can sub in any three other people on the team that you want, as long as those three have this secondary standard, which is 211.30 and 229.30. If we're in a position where most of the contenders have that standard and we've got at least three with the regular standard, then yeah, have it at noon, have it be tough conditions, and you're going to be pretty confident the top three finishers are going to make the team. If we're in a position where not that many people actually have this time, and it's going to be important for them to chase the time, then it would be really nice to have it around 8 in the morning when you can actually really focus on the fast times. But I'm pretty confident we'll have enough women hitting the standard, and the men, I guess we'll see a year from now. But I think overall, this is I'm excited to see it in Orlando. I think it's pretty good setup. Sounds like John Hughes and is who's with Track Shack. They're going to be staging the race. He's pretty well respected, uh, so I'm excited for it. But John, do you know John Hughes, or you just make that up? No, I don't know him. He's supposed to have a good reputation. I will tell you, he didn't respond to a single e- email for the stories I've been writing about the Olympic marathon trials, he never communicated with me once. So I don't know the guy literally at all, but people seem to think highly of him and the races he sets up down there. Oh, I was curious if you had any, any interaction with him. I wasn't trying to throw him under the water anyway. I just curious. Cause I'm like, wait, I've never heard of this guy before. So that's good to hear. And it looks like they award the Olympic trials to something called the track shack every 20 years, John. And 20, 20- 2004, the Olympic trials were in Birmingham, Alabama, and a running shot called the Track Shack, spelled T-R-A-K Shack, was the host. So it's kind of weird. But these are, you know, this running store was started in the 70s. It just shows people who want to host this. They're hardcore runners. So I'm excited about Orlando. As you said, they have this caveat. If your country has three people under the standard, which they haven't announced what that is, and they were under two, and they've run under two eleven thirty. Then go to the trials, then go to the Olympics. They should just wait, make that. You can pick any three people you want. Who cares? Because then they can have the trials. What if it's ninety degrees in Florida that day or something crazy? They can have it whenever they want for TV. We shouldn't have to be worrying about whether some guy sneaks under two eleven thirty, the third guy if it's really hot, or two twelve on a flat course, seventy five degree weather. I assume nowadays people could still do it, but I don't know. I haven't thought about the weather enough. But we shouldn't have to worry about that at all. Like the world athletics, Japan, the biggest marathon country in the world, has this trials race. Now they have a shitload of guys under 208, so it's not an issue for them. But like, we're going to send free people to the Olympics. Let us send who we want. Let us put on the best sporting events we want. Don't get in the way of that. Like, they just try to complicate things too much. 
But I'm excited, Orlando. Someone said you can get to stay at the Ritz Carlton for under 300 bucks sometimes in Orlando. That's crazy, uh, John. That's about what we paid for a hotel room in New York this weekend, and it was far from a Ritz Carlton. Are we sure we're going to have three men? Because you don't just need the standard, right? You can also get in on world ranking, right? Yeah, but is anyone in the U.S. ranked? Well, that's what I'm worried about. This DNF by Rupp is going to hurt his ranking. I'm not sure we're going to have three men. I mean, Connor Mance ran 208.16, but let's say let's, let's, the standard for the world championships next year is 209.40 for the men. I think the Olympic standard will be faster. If it's 209, I think we could see three Americans run 209. If all the top Americans' goals is to hit a qualifying standard for the Olympics next year, so it means that they go in Boston, sorry, no, I guess not Boston, but they have a spring and a full marathon where they're all geared towards hitting the time. I think you could see three guys do it. Because I think Rupp could do it if he's healthy. I think Mance could do it. Korea, maybe Farble. But it's not certain. So, yeah, that's why I think we still got to... It's TBD on that. And the what I don't like, though, is let's say you've got some hotshot prospect who's making his marathon debut. And the race is really hot. He runs like 211.45 for second. He doesn't have either of the standards, but he just got second at the trials and his debut. He's going to be left off the team. That's a pretty specific niche scenario, but that's something that World Athletics could eliminate by just saying, if you have three standards, you hold a trials race, you can pick the top three from that trials. That's a pretty easy fix, to my mind, for this problem without viewed being viewed as favoritism for any one country because every other country that has a trials like that or every other country could do it if they wanted to. Well, with the way people ran in New York, we're not going to get 300 to 1130 in the mid-60s degree weather because New York's not that much slower than a, I mean, two minutes slower than a flat race. Yeah, we only had one person under 215. Actually, though, I think if we all show up, they can do it on that day. Well, we shall see. I'm glad that we finally have a site for this event that we've been talking about for a while. Now we just got to get a site for USA Indoors, which is less than three months away, and we still don't know where that's going to be. Well, I guess it's supposed to be Albuquerque, right? They haven't officially announced it, but it does sound like it's heading Albuquerque's way. I'm sort of taking it for granted the U.S. is going to have three. Maybe I shouldn't because I'm of the era when the U.S. sent one person to the Olympics in 2000, both the men's and women's side. Because I'm looking at the, you know, if you go back to the last Worlds, everyone only hit the standard because we had marathon project race. Super fast course, perfect conditions, good weather. We might need to have a marathon project. Or people might just, going to be interesting, right? Chicken and egg. Do you hope someone else goes and gets the standard for you and focus on getting ready for the trials? Or is everyone going to turn up in Chicago or who knows, maybe next early next spring, they organize another marathon project too. Cause people are like, I just want to get this out of the way. I think you could do that. I think there's going to be a lot of people running the Chicago marathon next year because you're going to have enough time. Chicago's in October trials of February. You have a ton of people go and try to run fast there and you hope that enough people hit the standard. Yeah, February is a quick turnaround from New York. So this happened in New York in the past, the year of the Olympic trials. 
you know, sometimes you get a star like Meb who gets paid a lot, but a lot of guys are saying, no, I'm not going to take the chance. I want him to try to make the Olympics. All right, are we done with this marathon stuff? For now, Weldon. I, I, I imagine that we'll be covering the Olympic marathon trials pretty much every podcast from now until the trials. Like, that's just one of the our standby conversations. So maybe when we're looking for content, we say who has the best shot to make the team, you know, who's in position. Uh, but we got other stuff to discuss this week. Real quick, one more marathon thing. New York Roadrunners. I guess next year it'll be what? The race before the trials. They'll have a new CEO, Karen Hempel. She's gone. She was the interim CEO of the last two New York City marathons. I feel like she did a pretty good job riding the ship. And I'll Google here, John, to try to get this name right. Rob Simulkajair. Soon we'll know his name. He's taking over. Did an interview with Matthew Fetterman, who's the, the sports editor of the New York Times. He's been on the Let's Run podcast before. Fetterman has. Fetterman. Fetterman, excuse me. I was about to say I'm saying Fetterman's running for Senate in Pennsylvania. Careful, John. Don't go into politics on this podcast. I'm just stating that's a fact. That is not- oh, speaking of politics, we'll do this first. What did I learn being in New York City, John? I want you to give one thing. What it, I'll tell one thing. You tell one thing from actually being boots on the ground in New York. Couple of things. First of all, I, I saw some scary stuff on John's computer. We were recording the podcast, and I saw this ad. And I, I'm probably more conservative politically than John. He's a Boston liberal. And whoa, I don't even know what this ad was. Like John, what is that? It was like over the top. Yeah, it was talking about selling shot glasses with like. Killing Biden or killing Kamala Harris or uh, I don't know. It was like you know what, killing, right? It was shotgun. It was crazy. It was way out there. And I don't know. I feel like I might have clicked on one. I'm surprised you don't get this. I saw you had the Drudge Report open on your computer and you don't get any ads like this. I might have clicked on one like right wing link and suddenly this is what's showing up when I go to let'srun.com. Yeah. So John's excuse was that he clicked on the, that the Babylon B sort of trolled. Um, <laughs> The New York Roadrunners, they think he clicked on the link and they now know that thank you some like far right wing nutter. So now he these ads. I was staying out of this conversation, but now I just classic liberal. John 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 is upset with the president, wants to kill him because he's not liberal enough and he's not doing his work ideology and now is blaming it on conservatives. So that's what we call gaslighting, John. All right. What did I learn from being boots on the ground? Well, I had a good conversation with Jenny Simpson, which we're gonna be writing a separate article on, which I learned some stuff there. Speaking of which, we should have brought up Jenny Simpson when we talked about f- former multi-time Olympians that are no longer competitive runners but are still being paid by by, by shoe companies. Like, d- did she tell you she's basically unofficially, officially retired? Because Robert, come 16 on. Flat, what? 16 flat? She actually ran 16 or 7. She told me, I asked her, Rob, I said, are you fully healthy? She said, yeah, I'm healthy. Just missed the first half of this due to injury. But she said, I'm not fit right now. So I don't think she had high expectations. It was a poor showing, but I'm not going to write her off just yet. I don't think 
moving up on the roads, we all know her best event was the 1500, even though Robert wanted to convince us it was the steeplechase. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what we'll see from her next year, but I think she's going to be better than 1607. She wouldn't, she's not going to be happy with that. The other thing, I guess we didn't even mention the Noor taking the wrong turn. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the photos of me going viral in the background. It's pretty crazy that he makes this. It's coming right towards the finish in the New York City, sorry, in the USATF 5K champs. And then he follows the pace car. Even though they're 15 meters from the finish line, it's very hard to miss this finish line. It's the New York City Marathon finish line. They use the same finish as the race on Sunday. But it was his first pro road race, maybe his first pro road race period. And I think maybe he was just a little bit too much in the zone. Didn't really matter. He ends up winning the race. Uh, but then I was taking some pictures. And it was just interesting because he's turning right towards me. And then I ended up in the background of some photographers' images. So that was an interesting morning for sure. What I learned from being boots on the ground, I learned about not Donacimento, but his training setup in Kenya. I didn't realize that's where he had been. Um, learned a bit from talking to Emily Infeld about her, her setup. She just, she's now training with the team boss in Boulder. She won't be there the entire time. But she's going to be based in Portland. She'll fly in for some training camps, that sort of thing. And I've got to say, though, one of the insights, normally we don't get a ton of insights to these pre-race press conference. I was fairly confident going in Galen Rupp was not going to run well on Sunday because I guess, and I don't want to bash him for being more forthcoming because I feel like he was fairly honest about where he was at in his training. He didn't give as many details as you always want, but he was pretty frank about like what he had struggled with. It took him some time to get over world championships. You know, he had a little bit longer time, I think, to get back to training than he wanted to. He said sometimes there's, he'll be on runs where his leg just doesn't fire the way he wants to. He's got some nerve problems. So I thought based on what he said, he spoke to reporters for our interview was 17 minutes. He was probably there for half an hour. He answered everything that I just kind of realized he wasn't ready to run fast because he was unlike many athletes who aren't ready to go. He didn't bullshit. He was just kind of like, admitted it hadn't been an ideal buildup. So I give credit to Galen for that. And I, uh, you know, I kind of appreciate it. Okay, John, I'm glad you actually mentioned I'm becoming a nerd because I forgot this. And this is one thing I really learned. I was talking to Gary Lowe, who, who he's most famous for being Paul Radcliffe's husband. Then probably the coach of Mo Farah. But now he coaches. Well, he had the silver and bronze medalist at the Olympics. Bashir Abdi and Nagai. Am I saying that right? Abdi Nagai. Yeah, I think so. But anyway, he, on his own, he mentioned he just brought up Newer. And he's like, I think this guy's really talented um, and could be a force in the future. And I'm like, yeah, I think he's the real deal. And then he pointed out something I'd kind of forgotten. Like, this guy was a walk on at NAU. He went to some junior college, wasn't that great of a runner, goes to NAU, and now he's tearing it up and turns pro before. Runs out of eligibility. But then he also had this cool story. So he's from Somalia originally, John. Is that correct? Yes. He was born in Somalia. Which is where Mo Farah is from. So Mo 
so far with just like a kind of heroes is he's I think he's a high school runner. He might have been the junior college. He worked at a bell cap as a bell cap at the airport in Phoenix. Hopefully, I'm getting this story right. And Mo Farrakhan comes in and he's like, "Hey, man, can I get some photos with you and stuff?" And Mo's just kind of an inspiration. So he kind of I don't know if they exchanged numbers at the time, but now they're kind of friends. But now this guy could be like the future of American running. Like this is it's a, just a cool story. Highlights what's best about America, like the, just the immigrant side of things. But also this kid was just dreaming and he see, this guy comes through who's kind of a hero from his homeland, takes pictures with him. Mo wasn't you know, nice to him. So I just thought that was a cool story. It's an awesome story. He and yeah, well, he came over from Somalia. So he lived, he was born in Somalia. Then he moved to a refugee camp in Kenya. Then he was in Egypt. Then he goes to the United States. He comes over. His English isn't great. So when he graduates high school, you know, he's been through you know, a lot to get to the United States. He graduates, but he's not, he wants to run at AU, but he's not academically eligible. So he goes to, he's from, he's in, living in Arizona. He does a year at Coconino College in Flagstaff, reapplies, still not eligible academically. He has to do a second year of community college, does that. Then he gets on the team, starts finding success at NAU. This year, collegiate record in the 5K, remember, 1306. One NCAAs in the 3K and 5K indoors. Then he makes the world championship team, makes the world championship final. And then this race, he runs 1324. No one's in shape in November. He's, you know, he runs 1324 in November. That, that's really good. I don't care if you got super shoes or not. Like, if you're running that fast right now, yeah, he's going to be a hell of a lot faster next year outdoors. Very excited about his prospects. Is it going to be enough to challenge Grant Fisher? I'm not sure, but I'm excited to see him try. Oh, weird. That's crazy. Somehow I'd forgotten about Grant Fisher. I was just about to say, hey, if Paul Tulemo is on the ba- really on the back half and on the decline, we'll be okay. But I forgot we already have Grant Fisher. So that's cool stuff. Talk to Pete Julian. Sounds like a big 800-meter runner is joining their team. I honestly don't know who. Do you guys have any ideas? He, he told you it was Noah Cabet. No, he said somebody else. He made it sound like. Oh well, let's not bur- let's not bury the lead here. The world indoor silver medalist from Kenya. He was the world indoor silver medalist at 17 years old this year. Noah Kabet is joining the Union Athletics Club. Uh, I'm kind What's of surprised we didn't. What? Maybe I maybe misunderstood him. Maybe it is just Noah. No, 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 no. I listened to the interview well, and I think you're correct. He is joining in January. Who is a big addition? But Pete also suggested that there were had another edition or two to come. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what go, what, how that goes. But I'm also excited to see if Donovan Brazier is healthy. It sounds like his recovery from Haglund's surgery is going pretty well, but we know it takes could take a year for him to you know, really get back to form. But I'm excited to see what he could do training with Noah Cabet, who won a Diamond League earlier this year and was the World Indoor Silver Medalist. Yeah, and P was full of praise for... Donovan. Just as a teammate, he's like, okay, oh, he hasn't been running, but he's always at the practice, always encouraging people. So that was kind of cool. The other thing, John, I learned in New York, praise for Jonathan Galt. Prominent coach was saying, he's like, I really like Jonathan Galt. He asked the questions and no one else will ask. And then he said, well, sometimes he doesn't go far enough. And, but then he realized, that he goes, well, if you go too far, no one will talk to you. So you're threading that needle, John. Not the sycophant journalism that most of the other running 
people in media and running do. Can we call them journalists, I don't think. Well, the high praise for Jonathan Galt. Always nice to hear a compliment. All right. But wait, I, the whole thing, I never started, I never finished my thing on this Rob Simoglitschiger here. We're wrapping up New York. He's taking over the CEO of, as New, CEO of New York Roadrunners. And in this Matthew Futterman piece, I thought it was interesting. He said, mental health's a big problem, but he said, I would also like to see the Roadrunners as not just a running organization, but also a mental health organization. 10 second comment on that. I, I think running's great for your mental health, but I think the New York Roadrunners is a running organization. It can benefit people's mental health, but the New York Roadrunners is not responsible for the mental health of everybody out there. It's not a mental health organization. Running can have tremendous benefits to mental health, but don't change your focus. Yes, it will be a nice part of a healthy lifestyle is running, but you shouldn't be relying on the New York Roadrunners for your mental health. It should be one small piece. If you're really having issues, you don't go there. You go to an actual professional. All right, let's move on to pro running stuff. Is that... No, let's talk about mental health for a minute. Is that y'all segue to the story of the week? This is a flashback to my college days. Brendan Hebert, a sub four miler, former sub four miler at the University of Texas, ended up running the Texas high school cross country meet. This guy just jumps into the race, doesn't win it, gets beat, finishes second. Crazy story. And it reminded me of a guy by the name of James Hogue. Youngsters, there's some cool message support threads. Weldon linked to them. There were some stories on him. Who was a guy who back before the internet started, it was a lot easier to pull these shenanigans off before the internet started because, but he did it smarter. He didn't just hop in the state meet without a bib. James Hogue was a college graduate who ran D1 at like Wyoming or somewhere like that. Is that right? And after graduating from college, he went back to Palo Alto high school and was a dominant high school runner got exposed there was sent to prison i'm not sure for that or for something else probably for something else while he was in prison he applied he applied to my alma mater at princeton said he was homeschooled and learned underneath the stars and of course they ate that up i mean imagine now they'd probably even eat it up even more got into princeton was on the track team there as like a 28 year old cost weldon's coach beloved steve Barr, told who's looking down in heaven right now the Harvard Yale Princeton meet one year by scoring a point, but got exposed to Princeton and was expelled. But he was so popular at Princeton that you had teachers begging to let him stay in. And my RA in my freshman year, she said that her boyfriend just followed this guy around. He had like this amazing personality. But anyways, history has repeated itself about 25 years later. And this guy has done this crazy story. By the way, I have information that he was kicked off the Texas team. Not sure for what. Must have been something bad if he was a sub four minute miler getting kicked off the team. Well, it better be good information for reporting that on the air. Oh, it's pretty log solid, yes. Yeah, it's a wild story. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I did fantasize my freshman year. I was a lot better runner of my freshman year than I was my senior year of high school. Sorry, my freshman year of college. And I was like, man, if I went back to high school right now, I think I could be a footlocker finalist. You know, I was 20th as a senior. I was definitely a lot better as a freshman in college. So 
that I'm like, I never seriously considered hopping in a race or doing anything like that. I mean, I think to do that, you probably have to have some mental health issues. And uh, I hope someone has talked to Brendan about why he did this and maybe sort of talk through it a little bit. But it was a crazy story. I mean, I, I, it's pretty crazy he was able to run the whole race. I think he might have actually had a bib, though, Robert. He was caught, but I don't know if that's what he... I looked at some of the finish line video. It looked like they didn't ID him, but it wasn't like, oh, this guy doesn't belong here. He didn't look way, way older. He graduated high school in 2018. It's not like he was... He had a bib for sure, John. What's that? He is wearing a bib, but what were the commentators saying? Was it broadcast live? Like this, he did. What? People were talking. The thing, the audio I heard from the video, Miles Split had it in their article was they comment on the winner. They kind of ignore him crossing the finish line, but it's just like one of those things where, oh, they just don't have this guy's number. Like they weren't able to look him up or something. You would still think, oh, it's a guy in the race. They just were like, oh, we're not. He was a surprise top finisher, and then they comment on the third place person. I don't think it was immediately obvious to everyone that this guy didn't belong. Certainly, I'm sure there were people who recognized him. Well, I heard that clip too, and they kind of just ignored him. But I guess if I'm announcing, I don't know who it is. But I would say, oh, a surprise, second place finisher. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, he had a bib on. It just wasn't the official bib. It was like a different color. But. I think it's crazy. I think I sold you guys this off the air. I'm like, hey, he should have been, he should have been arrested. And they reported it to the police. You go, that's crazy. That's crazy. Get this trespass in this thing. I mean, either there's some huge mental health issue going on or he just like pulled a prank and really missed the mark. I'm sorry. You shouldn't pull a prank. You know, some, I can see some pranks sort of like hopping in a race or doing something that might be funny. There might be a time and place for certain things, but the state high school championship is not the time and place. I don't know. I just shouldn't be there. You're infringing on other athletes. Like this, the state high school cross country meet is the pinnacle for many of these athletes. So they've built that whole season around. You only get a certain limited number of them. Suddenly if you're a senior, you only get once as a senior for some joker to come in and ruin it and finish ahead of you and, throw off the race that's awful you shouldn't be doing something like that and screwing over these kids who have nothing to do with it but so yeah if it's a prank obviously it's the wrong time wrong place but my sense is that this is a I don't know I wouldn't be calling for him to be arrested it is a little worrying that someone can just get on the course in the middle of this race just like the New York City Marathon we had multiple bikers just biking alongside the men's leaders guys who were not supposed to be there um, that was also troubling, but I don't know if I would arrest this kid. Well, of course I would have him arrested. You can't just hop in a sporting event that's not yours. Okay, glad Robert agrees with me because Robert wasn't on the Monday morning call this week, and everyone else that lets run was not. I said he should be arrested, but the biking thing is way more concerning to me. You can't just bike next to the leaders. There's security, huge security issue there. All these cops in New York, you know, I back the blue generally, and they're out in force, and they do a good job of security, and they got the dumpster trucks preventing cars from getting near the finish, that sort of stuff. But, John, did you notice? I saw a lot of cops on their cell phones, man, in New York. Do you see that? Did you see that, too? 
I didn't notice it. I saw a number of cops, but I don't remember the thinking, oh, these people are really not doing their jobs. More so on the subways, like then like I think they've vastly increased I mean, there's been horrific stuff going on in New York. People being pushed in front of subway trains. They're trying to put cops in all the subways. And I'd see these cops just kind of scrolling their phone, standing there. And I'm like, I didn't feel like they were doing work on the phone. I'm like, they're on on the job. You're a cop. Like, I don't think you should be on your phone. Am am I missing the mark here? If you're on duty and unless you're like actively using your phone to sort of gather intelligence or communicate with people, yeah, probably not. Well, then, but that's not really a topic for this podcast. If they were checking out Let's Run Marathon coverage, of course, that would be okay. Uh, Yeah, exceptions must be made. All right. More pro-running news here. We had a thread on the message boards last week. It was titled, New Gen, Eugene Protein. And it discussed something. This is a theory that we had sort of proposed that now seems like it might become reality. Uh, The New Gen track and field, like, channel it's like a youtube channel they also put out a magazine every so often they had a video featuring cole hawker and some other recent oregon alums jackson messler reed brown they were saying you know they have big news coming soon and then someone in the thread about this video responded and actually said that they had received as a otc member they'd received a letter saying that the OTC board recently voted to support a group of new OTC members and former UO track and field cross-country athletes as they train and compete post-collegiately. That includes Hawker, Reed Brown, Matt Wisner, Jack Herian. And then it said that Ben Thomas would be coaching the group. And he was the former Oregon coach in the, for men's distance. Obviously, now Jerry Schumacher has that role. But this was something we kind of suggested. We are like, okay, OTC group, was this year is falling apart. Mark Rowland, the coach, has gone off to take a job with Athletics Canada. They don't have that many athletes left. It would make sense if they're going to stick with this group. You hire the one high-profile coach who just lost his job, who already ha- lives in town, and has one of the top middle-distance athletes in America. So I think this is the move by TC. Makes sense to me. Uh, I'm not sure. He's got some decent training partners. Reed Brown was third in the NCAA mile. You know, none of these other guys are potential stars like Cole Hawker, but they're decent training partners. That guy's going to be qualifying for USA's. Maybe you get a couple out-of-town kids, and then group starts to take off. But I think it makes sense to me, and I hope that it's true, and Nike and OTC are continuing to put resources in the elite side of the sport. And I guess we already knew what's happening, but I think the biggest thing that's interesting to me is Cole Hawker and Cooper Tier, you know, they're going separate ways now. Those are sort of the two alphas. They had such they did such great things together. So it'll be interesting to see how they do separately. And the issue I think for Hawker is does he have anyone now who's gonna be able to push him in practice? Like some people are like saying that this is, um, I don't know if it's a good analogy. It's more like Tenement Elite, where like Drew Hunter is much better than a lot of the other guys in the group. I'm not sure if that's the case anymore, but like, they're cool. Cocker, the 331, 1308 guy. Reed Brown's pretty good, but he's a 336 guy. Wisner, 147, which is pretty good. You know, and then the other guys are more 
not at that level. So does he need having Cooper Tier around someone who can like for sure probably beat him in some of the longer stuff, right? I'm not really concerned about that. I think you don't need to have someone who's like right at your level. If you've got some decent training partners, but you're still the alpha, I don't think that's a problem. So I think these guys, these guys aren't scrubs. They're not really going to be contending for US titles like Cole is. Though, I mean, Reed Brown's got maybe, maybe he could get into the conversation, you know, top five or something at USA's. But yeah, I think this is fine. And what I'd like to see is hopefully they can kind of cultivate that fan base in Eugene that's been lacking a little bit in recent years is get people behind the team. They have new gen, they have this YouTube channel that's try to hype them up, get more young people invested in the sport in Eugene. This is like a home team for them to re- root for. That's not really something OTC had been the last couple of years. Mark Rowland, he doesn't talk to media that much. Ben Thomas doesn't talk to media that much either, but I think it would be good to try to build some support for pro track and field in Eugene. And if you have Cole Hawker, who's a young, marketable superstar, maybe they can do that. Uh, memo to Jonathan Galt. We already have a team in Eugene. It's called the Oregon Ducks. Well, we've got the Bowman Track Club too now. So, so I, I do think it's good, important for all these groups, and they have a big social meeting for all these young people, to reach out, try to grow people. But I feel like new gen, next gen is more focused on the internet, US-wide, not locals if they want to build a local base they're going to have to really work out that this the thing with the movies and the jerry schumacher come to hayward field was very smart i'm glad they did that and to me everything in this podcast has confirmed everything i know it's like east african dominance if you want to be a coach being a pro coach is way easier than being a college coach so ben thomas is going to be a pro coach not go back to the college ranks everything i've said in the past has been confirmed i just don't understand one of your takes that's being confirmed is east africans are good at running like that's the stupidest most basic take there is anyone who knows anything about distance running would already think that but i'm glad that that was confirmed by two kenyans winning the new york city marathon this weekend robert thank you thank you john did you say maybe Reed brown can get top five at usa's yeah where did he finish this year was he fifth he was fit. So people yeah, aren't giving so, Reed Brown any credit. This guy who has already been top five. You're not giving him any credit. I know. I'm acting like he's a spare. Then I'm like, wait, the thread, someone else. I'm like, wait, didn't he finish? Once you said that, I'm like, click. This guy didn't make NCAAs. He was a sub four in high school, correct? Yeah, footlocker champ, sub four in high school. I mean, that used to be as like the golden effing standard. So he's obviously very talented. He was fifth at USA's this year. I think that's good enough to train with Cole Hawker. And also, there's the mental side of things. Obviously, these guys are all buddies, friends. Ben Thomas is their coach. That's where they thrived with. They can stay in Eugene. They don't have to move. Uh, I don't know. I mean, who knows? With or BTC in Eugene, they could have maybe stayed there too. But like, I think this works, right? Like, Jerry Schumacher isn't their guy. Ben Thomas is. They seem to have a good vibe. You clearly work from the past. I think go with it for a couple of years, see what happens, and then reassess. All right. One person that is moving, and we talked about this on Friday, is Athang Mo, the Olympic and World Champion 800. I'm shocked this didn't get more discussion on Let's Run. It proves to me that the 800 is not viewed as a distance event. 
people view it as more like a sprinting event because I think Mo switches training camps. She's leaving Texas A&M and her coach, Milton Mallard, Mallard, who does not get enough credit, by the way, and is going to move to L.A. and train under Bobby Kersey, which is crazy because Bobby Kersey also coaches Sidney McLaughlin. So the two biggest – oh, well, let me rephrase that. The two most accomplished U.S. track and field stars. I'd say the biggest is, is Shakira Richardson. She might even be bigger than Sidney McLaughlin, even though she's never done anything. Are going to be training under the same coach. Both of them have talked about doing moving to the 400. So this is – I'm not sure, John, having had a few days to think about it, you think this makes them more or less likely to battle at 400. Will they view it as a fun thing, or will they view it as no way in hell – we're going to do this. Or can we alternate years? Like, hey, you take it in 2023, I'll take it in 2024. I think they would have viewed it as a fun thing if they were training separately. But let's think about it logistically. If they're both going for the 400 in 2023. I mean, they both have buys in their main events. So they would be running against each other. They don't They don't have buys in the 400. So they'd have to train together. They'd have to run against each other at the 400 at USA's. Well, we don't know if they're going to train together, actually. They're, they're coached by the same person. This doesn't mean they're going to train together. To me, I think it makes it less likely they both do the 400. And I know Sydney has already said she wants to do the 400. So I guess it's up to a thing, Mo. She said a couple of years ago she wants to take on both. But do you want to have a training partner who's also your biggest rival? Not everyone does. And may maybe they both start out that way and then they realize, oh, I actually don't like this scenario. But to me, I think it's less likely that they both do it in 2023. Maybe 2024, that's the Olympics. That's when you go big. That's when you want to be doubling up. Maybe they just say, hey, screw it. We're gonna. I'm doing my own thing. I've, this is my goal. They've both already won Olympic titles. They're both going to do it. So maybe... We my prediction is, are we going to see both athletes in the 400 meters at USA's in 2023? My prediction is no, as much as I would like to see it. So, wait, John, if a thing Mo's not going to go try to run the 400, why do you go to Bobby Kersey as your coach? Can you name all the 800-meter runners that Bobby Kersey has coached? I, he doesn't have a background as a middle-distance coach. You go there... It's it's not. It might not just be for improving herself and maximizing her potential as a runner. It very well could be. Maybe she says, "I want to be a four hundred eight hundred woman," and he's got a background in coaching the four hundred. He can take me there. I think I don't think it's like oh he's he's a smart guy. Like he's not an eight hundred specialist coach. But as a sprint based eight hundred runner, I don't. He yeah, I don't foresee foresee it as being a huge issue. But there are other reasons to move to L.A. well than, than just performance. It could be if she wants to go mainstream, if she wants to start appearing in more ads or in movies or in TV or anything like that. If she really wants to be built up as a mainstream star, well, it's easier to do that and get your foot in the door in Los Angeles than it is in Texas. It also could be there's something that's causing her to leave Texas. There are stuff, you know, rumors on the message board about stuff I don't want to get into specifics because I don't know about exactly what the situation, but it could be she goes to West Felix. Hey, I don't want to stay at Texas A&M anymore. Where's a good situation for me? Wes is like, well, 
I'm already out here in LA with Sydney, and we've got Bobby Kersey. He coached Sydney and uh, sorry, Sydney and Allison Felix, and we're also here in LA, which is one of the media capital entertainment capital of the world. This is a good situation for you. I can make you know we can do big things out here. That could be the pitch, and not just Bobby Kersey will turn you into a world beater at the 400. Assuming she continues to run well, I understand why Bobby Kersey likes this. I totally understand why the agent West Felix likes this. Totally, in particular, the LA Olympics. Oh my God, the amount of money they can make. I, I and I understand why Al Thing Mo wants to do this. You know, just even most people I know, Cole, Cole Hawker wants to stay in Eugene. Most people, even when they get, you know, they get in college, they want to go somewhere else. So I know she hasn't finished college, but hey, moving on isn't that unusual. But what about Sydney? Do you think she had a say in this? Do you think she wants this to happen? I guess they're not really rivals yet, but they might be. But on the other hand, maybe Sydney, I would love to know if they already have a personal relationship, if, what, if any they have. But maybe Sydney also, it seems to me that Sydney doesn't really, I don't know. I, I've always thought that I think Mo, she's always smiling, having a good time. Sydney seems to be less naturally enjoying it. It's like more stress for her. Maybe having a thing coming out there will take some of the pressure off. In a weird way, because there's two of them instead of just one. Although there might be more, more media members going to practice and stuff. Media members go to their practices anyway. Are they even allowed to go to their practices? I don't know about that, but I find it unlikely, Robert, to answer your question that Sydney McLaughlin, who is coached by Bobby Kersey and represented by Wes Felix, that they would have just added a thing mode to that group without running it by her. I think they probably would have said, hey, we're thinking of adding a thing to the group. We think it could be a great thing. Are you okay with this? And my assumption is she said yes, and that's why, you know, it's happening. I, d- I doubt that they just blacked I hope that's her. the case. They should have done that. But if I'll tell you what, and maybe they don't have a veto power. If I'm New Balance, I say no, 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 no. No. We've got a girl here. She's in LA. She's where the Olympics are going to be. She's the star. I don't want nothing Mo coming at her and getting to, it, then it, it kills the brand appeal. Bobby Kersey, New Balance, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like he, the one coach is coaching both teams. That's why if I, if I was a, a pro running brand, I would have one coach. He would only work with athletes of one brand. I would have the team concept. I would never, it doesn't make any sense to have, we're supposed to be now excited of the Bobby Kersey team, but one runs for New Balance, one runs from Nike. For people who don't know, did you guys say that Wes Felix is Allison Felix's brother and agent? But his whole that's the whole model for them, right? You're the superstar. You're out in L.A. Then you get the deals with, who is she with, C.A. or William Morris, one of those big agencies, or did they just merge? Whatever. But, like, that's the model he's seen. The L.A. Olympics are out there. Commercial opportunities are huge. We got a voicemail in this from Sanjay, who actually, we played a voicemail for him last week, too. But he's a, he's a, he's made movies, producers. He's like, Financially, this is what you do. If you want to be the next big thing, you go to LA. It's just much easier for opportunities. So there's that. And uh, Bobby Kersey has coached one 800-meter runner, John. Well, you counting Jackie Joyner-Kersey running the 800 yes. in the heptathlon? Because that doesn't count. Gold medalist. Gold medalist, John. She won the silver in like the first Olympics, I guess, 84. Because her 800 wasn't good enough. Then 88, 92, she got it done. But uh, 
that's the only thing. I don't know. Can anyone just coach an 800 meter runner if you're a 408 girl? I don't think it's that easy. That would be my only question mark there, but who knows? I think Mo, it's gone so well. If you I mean, if she gets the problem is the bar is so high. I wonder to see her double and stuff. But if she loses the 800 next year, it's a disappointing season. I mean, that's how high the standard has been set, right? She's since she's been on this level, she's never lost an 800. So, and people will blame Kersey, and it may not be Kersey's fault because even though she won this year, she wasn't as quite as good as she was last year. Well, here's my question: How many Diamond Leagues combined are these two women going to run next year? Sydney McLaughlin ran zero in 2022. I think Mo ran one. Are we going to see? I remember Sydney McLaughlin mostly runs. You know, she's done these hundred hurdle races before USA's. Is a thing Mo to start running? Maybe a thing Mo does start running the four hundred to prepare for the eight hundred. She doesn't focus on her main event. They focus on one thing. Maybe she starts running the two hundred. I, I sincerely hope. Both of them start running a broader Diamond League schedule in 2023, but no. This is kind of crazy, though, the more we think about it. The world's best 800-meter runner has, has moved to LA to be coached by a guy who doesn't coach 800. By the way, I look up Jackie Joyner Curse's PR that he had. It appears to be 209. So maybe they'll have to hire me as a consultant. World Athletic shows a 208. Of course, Robert weasels away, figures out a way to try to add in on the coaching thing. I never coached 800 before I got started coaching at Cornell. It was pretty damn easy to coach. Not going to lie. Okay, okay, okay. Um, one other thing, Brandon Miller is joining this group. Brandon Miller, who is a thing Mo's boyfriend and made the U.S. team for the 800 this year in the World Championships. He didn't make it out of the first round, as none of the Americans did. Uh in the men's 800, but he's turning pro. He didn't say he's signed with any D- D- team or, sorry, any sponsor. I assume he's going to be a Nike athlete. He was wearing his USA kit in this announcement post. I think Mo is Nike. That would make sense to me, but he didn't actually say he signed with a sponsor. He just said he's turning pro. He's moving to LA to train with Bobby Kersey. We got to get to the bottom of what happened in Texas A&M. Is it just them going to money, or there was insinuation that sit that uh, thing's best friend on the team, a hundred meter runner, had already transferred out, gone somewhere else? John, if you know, email us. Robert at letsrun.com. Robert at letsrun.com. All right, one last thing before we sign off. We did tease it at the beginning. I mean, I don't have any uh, inside information on this, but. If get a smile out of the Instagram post he had making this announcement. Matthew Centrowitz has up the question, and she has said yes. Matthew Centrowitz is engaged, and I, I found the picture he had. It was in Austin by the town lake, I believe. And he said, ACL update, healthy enough to drop down on one knee. So he had ACL surgery earlier this year. Now seems to be back to running, and now he's Robert. I guess your whole theory, men, you think he's going to run worse next year because he's no longer on the hunt for love. He's now in a settled relationship. He's going to be getting married. This is bad for the guy, right? That was how it worked to Cornell. Now the Ivy League mindset may be different than the state school mindset, but I will say that I called up my buddy 
on Sunday, Ross McGowan, who invented the supporters club member who invented this theory. If you're new to the show, I have a th- we had a theory that we developed when I was coaching at Cornell that when men, when they were just started dating a girl or pursuing a girl, they ran amazing. Women did not run well. But then when they got in the relationship, things flipped. The women thrived in the stability of the relationship and the man became complacent. His testosterone level dropped. But I will say on Sunday when I, when I, I, I needed some time to myself, I popped down on the couch. I'm flipping the channels. I find the football game and I'm like, it's, I see Tom Brady. I love Tom Brady. I'm like, wait a minute. What would the theory predict here? I'm like, he's newly single. He's going to do amazing. And he proceeds to go 60 yards in 40 seconds with no timeouts. So I immediately text my buddy. I was like, oh my God, it even works in the NFL. Except then I did think about it. I'm like, well, Tom Brady's like all of his Super Bowl rings as a married man would go against my theory. So I don't want to take credit for Tom Brady. If that makes any sense. But I am disappointed. I'm glad that Cooper Tier and these guys aren't engaged. No, the, the theory wasn't about engaged. It was about a stable relationship. So, Well, Kubitier is in a stable relationship. So, and I don't know why you're throwing him into this. But anyway, congrats to Matthew Centrowitz. Uh, I think that's going to do it. Anything else before we say sayonara? Oh, yes. Well, then. So we have a timer going here. I, I'm shocked. We're going to do the whole podcast and this topic was never briefed. All right. And telling me to back off. Should, should we just let it go, John? I think we tell him off air. Well, then. No, I think we have to. John, Robert, we placed the bet before the podcast. I said, how long will Rojo go before he mentions the non-binary rice money at the New York City Marathon? I said, John, I will go with one minute. Once he speaks, starts speaking, unless it's the introduction. If he does the introduction, it'll come in the introduction. But... Otherwise, I'm giving him one minute. My timer here is over two hours. Like we just stop in the middle of this thing. I've not heard it once. So, do not do not say anything. Do not say anything. Our support, our supporters club, our every listener is glad you, you can stay off this topic one time. Admiral restraint, restraint, Rojo. Thank you for winning my bet. It's kind of amazing I didn't bring it up because, first of all, I didn't know about this bet, but I have gotten an Olympic marathoner to write an op-ed with me. We submitted it to the New York Times. We submitted it to the Wall Street Journal. Never heard back. So we're going to be publishing it on the website today. Like They don't even bother to email, say, hey, we got your thing, No, nothing, like not even like, thank you. I got some closer contacts. You want me to write somebody? I wrote Mr. Futterman. He said, I don't want you to think I'm blowing you off. I'll give you the same email address that I gave Venus Williams two years ago. So I felt like that was pretty good to get her the same email address. I didn't actually go with his advice, though. I didn't use the email advice. I used the official form, which I think gets funneled to the same place. All right, guys. Well, good show. A lot to talk about this week. We have on Friday NCAA regionals. So getting close to NCAA cross-country championships. We'll be running our projections. We I guess we'll have to talk about who makes the big dance on our Friday 15. So... Lots to look forward to. And then we have the BAA half this weekend, Molly Seidel, first race since dropping out of Boston Marathon in April. I'll be there, boots on the ground. I foolishly forgot that Brighton is playing at the exact same time. I was like, oh, the Patriots are on bye on Sunday. I can cover this race, no problem. No, a final match before the World Cup for the sixth place, Brighton and Hove Albion. We're playing Aston Villa. I'll have to stay spoiler free on that one to bring 
you running fans the coverage that you want and that you deserve. So making a sacrifice, I'll have to watch it on DVR once I get back. Sign up for the Sporters Club if you want Friday's podcast, breaking all this down. Thanks to everyone who signed up to get the New York City Marathon pro- coverage. Appreciate it. Let's run.com slash subscribe.